I'm Kevin Bachman. On this episode of Background Check Radio, my iCubed Advisors partner Jason Morris and I break down our Pulse of the Industry survey results. Stick around. All right, well, let's get started. I will uh, kick this off. Uh, for those of you that don't know us, I'm Jason Morris, and this is Kevin Bachman. Uh, we are with iCube Advisors. Uh, iCube Advisors was born out of uh, us doing, we've been doing consulting for years uh, after we sold the business in 2015. A lot of expert witness work, we started doing uh, some consulting and some recruiting. So I decided to combine forces and create iCube Advisors. Uh, we do quite a bit now. Uh, we, we really, I, I focus most of my time on recruiting and M&A advisory, um, but we do, you know, some consulting. We do, we do a lot of speaking and, and training engagements. Uh, we do some GTM for companies um, and, and really try to help, uh, to help companies in the space grow. Uh, we stay very close to the industry. We attend all the conferences. We've got uh, tons of relationships throughout the industry with all of the owners of the CRAs and our ear is really close to the ground on what's going on and and, the, and really have a pulse of what's, what's happening in the industry. Yeah, yeah cer- certainly no no shortage of people looking to buy, people looking to sell. Um, we help companies uh, either assess their options um, if they're planning on it or if they are actually looking to buy or they're actually looking to, to sell. Certainly something we help with. And uh, the expert witness stuff never stops. You know, right, Jason? I have, I have something coming up. Um, for the next two weeks, probably other than this, my core focus for the next two weeks. And I know you have a handful on your plate as well. Yeah, I got quite a bit. I had probably six cases going for them just settle. I got two left. Um, but again, I'm starting to get calls again from attorneys that these things are starting to get heating up again, which usually happens around this time of year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and some of that, you know, some of that are, are things that we're going to cover today. You know, how do, how is the market feeling about litigation these days? I think that's really a nice segue into what we want to accomplish over the next 50 minutes or so. Um, we have a ton to go over, mostly because the data is so awesome. We're so excited to share it. And, you know, we've kind of felt for the last you know few weeks, we've we've had this information behind the scenes. Um, and, and really, we're looking for the right opportunities to, to share this with the market. Uh, some of this, we're doing really deep dives with um, closed... Um, what are their advisors, investors in the space? Uh, we're looking at some raw data. Others are kind of more, uh, not so much generalized, but a very, very broad view of, of what we tackled. So, you know, you kind of see our agenda here. Um, a couple of things that that I know I'm pretty excited to talk about. Jason, what kind of jumps out at you um, as, as we look at what we're going to discuss today? I, I'm really just excited to talk about the overall survey. I mean, this is something we, we planned on doing for a while. Uh, we finally launched the survey at the beginning of the year. And, and now have all this data to share. Um, we're probably a little delayed in getting out in front of you guys, but we really worked hard on making sure that the data was relevant. Um, more exciting, I think, than, than, than this data, I think is going to be the years to come because comparing year to year, I think is the really, the really powerful thing that comes out of these types of studies. So um, I, I'm excited to see how things change and, and how the industry changes their thinking. Yes, uh, for sure. A couple of years. For sure. Okay. Well, let's let's look and see who filled out our survey. Right. Uh, we had a really big sample, 170 CRAs uh, in our industry is really a strong number. Like Jason said, part of the reason we left the survey open so long is um, 
we really wanted to collect as wide range of responses as possible from the largest CRAs in our business to the really, really small ones. Something we're really proud with, and, and quite frankly, it's it's reflected in our audience, whether it's the Background Check Radio podcast, whether it's webinars that we do or PBSA presentations. Um, there's a lot of decision makers um, that that usually uh, either attend, listen, download, et cetera. And, and we really kind of saw that flow through uh, with the survey. It's not an ego boost to say, hey, we had a lot of really important people to fill out the survey. No, that's not the point. The point is to say, hey, this this data is, is very macro in terms of how a respondent looked at the industry and they looked at their overall organization. It was not a lot of um, entry level or or you know single department producers kind of giving their view. Now we we have a really really 360 degree view of of the space from those individual representatives. Uh, I think that's important, important for another reason too. You know if you ask if you ask a hundred CEOs in the background screening industry or a hundred presidents in the background screening industry how is business, they're all going to lie equally. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. And, and I think it's important to get a more well-rounded response because the director of criminal records at a company is seeing the growth or whatever in a, from a different lens than the CEO is. And again, I've been doing this for 25 plus years. I know everybody in the industry and, and I know how everybody lies. <laughs> so yeah, this, yeah. for me, this is yeah. pretty refreshing to be able to see. Um, and, and they don't lie for for for. For, for 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 bad reasons, they just don't want anybody seeing under their under their hood. Well, so. and, and and a lot of it is you know owner enthusiasm. Um, okay. The glass is always half full at a certain level, and, and and we'll talk about that in a little bit. There were a couple of answers we thought that that might be reflective of, but let's let's pivot. Um, move to the next slide and see, um, okay, who were, who were kind of the industries or the client mixes, you know, we really wanted to know, Hey, what's your, what, what's your company made up of? Um, what kinds of, of organizations? And here, here were the respondents examples to, um, what kind of industries they, they serve the most, you know, some of these slides we're going to spend five, 10 minutes on some, we're going to spend, you know, 15 seconds on anything that jumps out here, Jason, for you, anything that's surprising. No, I think everybody tries to go after the healthcare and staffing, obviously, because they have the highest turnover and the most amount of screens that they need. Um, I was surprised to not see anything in transportation or more regu other regu regulated industries, because those are always the most interesting to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that, uh, that the, the client mix that came up on this uh, makes a lot of sense. Yep, yep, okay. In addition um, to that too, guys, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, if you do have questions or, or have something you want to say, throw it in the Q&A. And we'll try to get to it. Yes, please, please. Yeah. Okay. So we looked at who owns the screening program, right? And and I think as as we move to the next slide, you know who who's that program manager? Is it a safety and security officer? Is it a administrative assistant? Is it talent acquisition? And of course, everybody here, as you hear me talk through those examples, you have preferences, right? And I'll I'll give mine personally. Like I love working with safety and security. Um, in employees don't love working with the recruiter whose only concern is putting somebody in that seat so they can get paid. And we, we all kind of have different opinions along the spectrum. And our, our data showed that um, mostly talent acquisition and a mid to senior level person in talent acquisition, not as many um, end users as, as I might have thought, kind of ran this through an administrative assistant or a lower level HR professional. I'm also disappointed on the on the other end that 
you know, the, and, and I think of this when I think of regulated industries, right? You, you didn't have as many as we would have thought that that kind of segments or silos this into into more of the uh, security portion of their building. Uh, yeah, any thoughts, Jason? Yeah, it's unfortunate not to see safety and security involved much anymore at all. Um, I, I do think that with some of the monitoring opportunities that companies have, I think that's more of a sale through safety and security than it is through HR because uh, you're worried about your your you know your current employment base, not your pre-employment. Um, so I think that you might see a little tick up there. Um, I also think you might see a little bit of an increase in IT departments buying these types of services as the more it becomes commoditized and the more that the APIs mature um, and it becomes more of a plug and play service, you could really see the IT or, or, or CTOs being the buyer of services like this. We, we already we're seeing that in the gig economy. Um, I think it'll probably start getting onto enterprise eventually. That That's such a cool comment, Jason. And I, I didn't anticipate talking about this. Um, and, and it makes me think of, of two things if we think of uh, safety and security being kind of underrepresented or at least lower than we would have hoped. Uh, part of it just could be the, the chronological shift in our space. This isn't 2005 anymore. This isn't new or scary. The, the, this is a pretty standard part of an HR business onboarding process. So, you know, I could see as the industry matures over the years, a safety department going to HR and be like, oh, okay, this is this is standard. You guys can take care of it. We're, the organization will be fine if we don't run this. Uh, the second could be, and this is a segue into the next slide, um, who buys the products? And we've talked at length on webinars and certainly PBSA. I, I did a presentation, I think a year ago on a, a PBSA on how to find new opportunities within companies, how to open new doors. If something is not of appeal to the um, talent acquisition buyer, well, of course, they're acquiring talent. It's front end of the process. Somebody down the road might like some of those monitoring solutions that, that you just talked about, Jason. Um, have we opened the doors to those buyers as well? So that could also be reflected in some of the numbers that, that we see. Yeah. And also with identity becoming a, you know, a newer, bigger product, I think safety and security would obviously with badging and everything else, identity becomes really important. And I don't think HR is the, is the proper buyer for that. Yep. Sure. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right, let's move through. So uh, always, always a hot topic, right? How much of the new product conversation in the space is uh, vendors or CRAs trying to make a market? How much of it is demand from the ground up where employers and users are really pushing their partners? And then, you know, if we complete the triangle, um, how much do CRAs kind of recognize that and seek out, you know, the opportunities that we're talking about um, a, a minute ago here? Floor is yours, Senator. <laughs> I don't know if you had another comment to make there. That's okay. Uh, you know, I, my view is, has been pretty consistent over the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, background screeners are really bad at adding products and, and mm -hmm. selling services. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they're so bad at it. I, 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 my, my, my gut tells me they're afraid to raise the, the average applicant invoice price that, they're, that their client sees. But at the end of the day, you're not doing your clients a very big service by not offering them things that are new and things that are that, that could help them uh, energize and and or um, just expand their their product or the, the products that they're buying from you. You know, I remember doing quarterly business reviews, you know, with our company and, and even with Sterling after we were bought, and and just going to some of these larger organizations and showing them what they're doing and showing them more specifically what they're not doing. Um, and, and how that impacts their, their screening program. 
Um, especially today, when you look at products like you know um, verifications that companies are seem seem to be shying away from, which I think we're getting to a little bit later in the survey. Um, there's other products that you can you can offer to augment services like that. Um, so you know when when I see the number fifty percent and and it's only fifty percent. That that's a little concerning. I think that number should be a lot higher, um, and I think that's a result of background screening companies again just not being very good at selling selling these new products. Well, I'm I'm even a little more glass half empty on that fifty percent because I don't I see it as fifty percent, and it might be one product. It might be fifty percent, and it's a it's a six dollar product. Um, I I have a take to your comment around you know, you essentially said, Hey, I just don't know why we're so bad at this. Um, I, I think it's because of the incentive structure and I'll, I'll, I'll do some quick math here. You know, if a, if a salesperson closes an account and it's, you know, call it 50 bucks, they're, they're going to get paid commission on that $50 sale in that account for a three-year period. So, you know, we'll look at this or business leaders might look at this and, and then I'll describe something for our audience that, that we implemented that that drove revenue about eight to 10 percent higher for us as, as an entire company. Um, so you look at the incentive structure, I'll get back to that $50 and it's OK, maybe there's something new or everybody's excited about it's a six, seven dollar product. Hey, go see if anybody wants it. Well, I'm just not going to make much money off of it if I'm a salesperson and maybe it's been 18 months. That relationship isn't super strong. But I can choose to spend my time and energy on that new $50 client that I'm talking to twice a week that's that's halfway through my pipeline. I'm, I'm going to go do that. So when you look at it like that, I, I can understand why new product adoption and the push inside of CRAs um, doesn't intellectually match um, as, as, as we might think it is. What did we do? And what's a, what's a free suggestion for everybody here listening? Incentivize your support teams to do it. Your support teams that are either paid annually or hourly, give them the commission, especially on that account that's two years old. Um, and the argument back to the salespeople is um, like you, you you had your chance and, and it's okay. It's not a contentious argument. Like you had your chance and yes, maybe this is a new product. And if you want to go sell this new product to this client, you can go do it, that new $7 product. But if you want to go hunt for the other $50 client, go do it. Well, we want to get that $7. We want to introduce this product. So let's give the commission to the people that are talking to those clients every day. And I, and I tell you, we, we rolled that out and we have some former team members listening in on the call now. And um, they got to, they got to focus on the $50 account and our organization grew like 9% two consecutive years, year over year, because we just changed the incentive structure. That's how yeah. we sold new products. I'll take it a step further than that. It's, you know, I said I don't do a lot of consulting anymore, but what I do, it's usually a factor of rearranging how sales and service work together. Yep. Um, I've done this for numerous companies and it, it really is the path to success. Um, you, you know, the way and there's a lot more to this and, you know, there's a lot more intricacies and and detail here that I'm going to give on this webinar. But, you know, your sales department, they, they close the deal, your salesperson closes the deal hands it over to service, that's pretty much the last contact your salesperson needs to have with that client. Not saying they can't, they can still develop that relationship, check in every once in a while. But I'm a big believer in just like your salespeople have quotas, your 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 service people have a book of business that they serve. And, and I know this from recursion, sure. account managers, 
you know, you're looking for an account manager to manage a $5 million book of business, right? That's what you see. It's a very common 5 million, 1 million, 2 million, whatever the, the, the number is, they, they, they oversee a book of business. Well, now you need to incentivize them to grow their book of business. And, and the growth in that book of business could be, again, adding new services, uh, expanding, expanding some of the services that they already have and finding new opportunities for those clients. So if you're not set that up that way and you're not running your business that way, we should definitely talk. Um, there, there's more effective ways to do this. And everybody's happy at the end of the day because everybody's making the commission in a different way. And, and I love that example you just described because my example was companies about $50 million or less. Yeah. Your, your example was the other end of the market. And this is a judgment-free zone. Companies are $700 million for a reason. Um, smaller companies, mid-sized companies, okay, this is my team. These are my clients. This And this is the support requirement. And we kind of handle what we handle. And that, and, and it's, it's, it's not, um, and I don't say it in an argumentative way, but there's, there's not that connection that you just described. Larger organizations are like, Here's your number. Here's how we would like you to grow your number. And here's how you are incentivized and, and rewarded. Um, whereas smaller companies might just be like, well, we had a busy day. Well, we had a slow day. And, and life kind of goes on. Um, but for companies, regardless of where you're at, and, and again, great segue, Jason, if you want to move to our next slide. Um, this is how organizations grow by thinking about some of the things that we're talking about here. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give everybody a free little secret here on all of our attendees. The point of a business is to grow and make money. Um, and, and, and if you don't grow, you're dead. If you don't grow, you're, I mean, obviously there's there's anomalies and not everybody grows every single year. Everything, you know, shit happens. Um, but you need to grow your business. If you don't grow your business and don't focus on growing your business, you're dead. It, it reminds me, and maybe because we're of a certain age, maybe it's because we're in Northeast Ohio and Tommy Boy, the, the movie from the 90s, is, was set about an hour from us. And uh, Big Tom Callahan, he used to say in auto sales, you're either growing or you're dying. There ain't no third direction. Yep. And th th that's exactly it. We, we can't tread water as business owners. So what did our respondents say about their business? And we can sprinkle some adjacent, you know, skeptical magic dust on this um, in terms of owner optimism. But uh, like we said, we had a really good cross section of of respondents. So the, these are these are solid numbers. We have, we have faith in these numbers here. Most people are growing. I think that's a consequence of economic activity um, and just where they're at in their business. Some aren't. And I think, uh, especially for those who who, who filled out the survey uh, in the spring or early summer, there was a lot of worry about um, current economic conditions. Companies were pulling back. I think those worries are assuaged. Um, we've been saying for months, don't just watch the news. Don't just follow LinkedIn. If an economic recession is coming, it's coming. Uh, and it hasn't. Uh, last month, uh, uh, GDP growth of 4.9%, strongest growth since COVID. Um and you know, so that's kind of where we are, and that's where people are are, are reporting. But the the question for you, Jason, any of this surprise you? No, but the the detail is in the methodology, and and here's why: if you're a ten million dollar or less CRA, of course you're growing because it's not hard to add a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand million dollars in net new business every single year. If you're not able to do that. You're probably in the wrong business. Like it's easy to add on and, and grow 10% when you're adding a million 
or $2 million or $3 million a year in, in, in annual revenue. When you're a $100 million company or a $500 million or one of the public companies, growing 10% is growing $100 million a year. That That's where the, the tricky part comes in. So does it surprise me? No, because small companies should be growing. They're small companies, right? There's a difference. I, I love that point you make, and, and we discuss it a lot as kind of macro and microeconomic conditions. The world can be on fire, but if you're a $10 million CRA, you are affected by micro conditions more than macro. You can do great. The flip side, the world could be booming, and you're micro. If company I mean, leaves you through an RFP, you're sunk. Um, I, I won't name them by name, but there's, you know, during during COVID, when COVID hit, when a lot of background screening companies struggled, I would say most background screening companies really struggled. I know of a CRA that did a lot of work with FedEx and a lot of work with Domino's Pizza. And those are two businesses that expanded heavily during COVID. So they grew, right? But again, that's not the norm. The norm is the collective macro uh, of what's going on. And, and we're not seeing any growth. Yep. I'm going to make one more comment about revenue, Jason. And then we got a question, which I think is a great question I'd like to tackle. Sure. Um, the one more uh, comment I had on, on revenue, um, and we see this in the public filings of both um, the platforms in our space, um, the providers in our space, and the publicly traded companies. You're a $700 million company. Your investors demand growth. 10% is like a small number, a small expectation. That's $70 million. That money is coming from somewhere in our industry. We are long past the point where somebody wakes up tomorrow and says, I've never done background checks before. I think I should start. That that revenue has come Yes, there's going to be organic growth. There's going to be new product growth. But that revenue number that all the large companies have to hit comes from taking. And we're on video, so I'm trying to be dramatic here with my fist. They're looking to take money uh, and clients. So we think about the competitive landscape. There are some extremely ambitious, for the right reasons, companies in, in our space. Uh, Jason, do you see the, for the question on criminal monitoring? You want to- Yeah, before we get that off, there's a story that I've told a couple of times on these webinars over the last couple of years. And I remember sitting in Billy Greenblatt, the former founder of, and CEO of Sterling in his office in you know in 2015. And, and we were talking about just this, like how does the industry grow? How do the big companies grow when everybody's doing background checks? And, and he told me something and it really stuck with me. When you're one of the top, let's call it the top five companies, uh, top five in revenue. 85% of your clients, they ain't going anywhere. They're never leaving. They're just going to be with you forever, right? 10% of those, of those clients are going to go from higher right to first advantage to Sterling, to higher right to first advantage and Sterling. They're going to trade those 10%. It's the other 5% that you got to focus on. It's a, the remaining 5% that might drop to some of the smaller companies or some of the mid-sized companies. And that's who the larger companies are focusing on is that 5%. Um, because again, like you said, they're just trading business. Yeah, really great point. All right, let's start with some of the questions. Let's go into some of these questions. Yeah, the, the one on platforms, um, I think we're going to get to it a little bit. So let's tackle the monitoring one right now. So the first one is, you know, what has led to the slow adoption of criminal monitoring? Kevin and I have argued about this for, for years. Um, we have a product, we're sitting on a product here as an industry that is a game changer. Um, you know, we, we've sat on our soapbox, stood on our soapboxes for years saying, you need to screen your employees before you hire them, all the, you know, all the things that can happen if you don't. But then once they're hired, everybody forgets about anything about having to do with screening once they're already employed. And I think we're sitting on a goldmine here as an industry, but the industry doesn't know how to sell it. Excuse me. So that's why I think 
personally, there's been a low adoption. I think the market would like it. Um, I think the market would like it a lot. I think the companies that currently do it really love the idea and love the product. Um, but it's a factor of just not being able to sell the products. I, I love the question. And we're going to try, Jason, I'm going to try and wrap a 30 minute conversation into three minutes. Uh, the math sucks. That's my answer. Um, now, the product is getting cheaper. The product is getting better. The access it, compared to 10 or 15 years ago, everything about monitoring tomorrow is better than monitoring yesterday. But there's a, a thought that we have in this industry, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but there's thought in the industry of, ah, this is a commodity product and nobody wants to pay. And the only way I'm going to win is by selling it for 50 cents less, et cetera, et cetera. So when we just look at the math of monitoring, you know, say a company hires 20% a year, like new hires or replacement hires, right? You get a thousand people and they're doing 200 screens a year and plug in a number, let's use $50 for the background check, punch it into our calculator. And now we have the total cost of our screening program. Okay. Now we overlay monitoring on that. And what are we going to find monitoring? Well, maybe we're going to find 2% of people that you like, what, what's our exclusion? What is our walk out the door number going to be on monitoring? And it's going to be a low percentage. Okay. When we throw all of that in and we look at what we're going to get from monitoring, I'm not talking about the need to manage risk, right? We shouldn't hire somebody and let them sit at a desk for 15 years and never do anything after, after pre-hire. But when we look at the math as it exists right now, monitoring in many cases costs more than the pre-hire program. And that's why I think that's one of the reasons why I think the product hasn't taken off. Yeah, it, it can. And I think that, that again, we're selling it wrong. I, I, I would I agree with that. I would go yeah. say this HR, this should not be coming out of your budget. At the all. safety budget, safety budget might be like the security officer's like, I don't freaking care. Right. Totally agree with you. Totally that, agree. That, that's where I see that. I think the other reason, and, I, and, I, and I've talked about this in the past, but I really, I really do feel this is the reason why the that the industry as itself isn't growing so quickly anymore, and the monitoring isn't growing, is because we're all working from home now, and we're all working from home. And if you're hitting all of your KPIs, if you're killing all of your KPIs, why do I care if you had theft, or why do I care that you had something, you know, like a marijuana conviction? And it used to be that you care about all that stuff. And I think that the, the risk tolerance is a lot different now than it was, you know, even 10 years ago. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, um, okay. Um, biggest business challenges. You want to pivot to that? Uh, yep. You got it on the screen here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that, that's okay. So one of the things we, we basically listed out, and if you, if you filled out the survey, right, you, you remember. Now, if you also filled out the survey, uh, we did a webinar um, uh, in early fall where we went in much greater detail. Um, but for this audience, right, we'll, we'll condense it a bit. We basically listed about eight to 10 things. And we said, what are your challenges? Um, we see the top two and then the middle and then the things that people are either saying, not on my radar or I don't look about it or I don't care much about it. Uh, price increases from suppliers. that That's no surprise. That is primarily feedback focused on Equifax and their work number product. And then uh, CRAs will say on the other end, I'm getting pressure from from my clients uh yeah. jason any, anything you want to comment on is we look no, i mean the, you know it's funny because the, the suppliers have the cojones to uh raise prices the large cras you know sterlings and, and first uh -huh. they have it in their contracts uh-huh you know two to five percent every single year it's the mid-sized and small companies that are afraid 
to do that. So what happens is it's just eating into your margins. Your prices are going up from your suppliers and you're afraid to raise your prices. And, and it's just eating into your margins. It's not good business. Uh, an, another thing that we could do, you know, 30 minutes on, and where does that fear come from that you just mentioned, Jason? Uh, I think it comes from the fact that we have weak sales and marketing pipelines. Yeah. You get that pressure from your sixth largest client to give them a 15% haircut. And you look at your pipeline and you're like, I got nothing else behind me. If I don't do this, maybe they're going to go. So you do it. And then it's, it, it, it's just a cycle. Whereas larger companies, strong sales, strong marketing, great teams. They're like, no, I'm not going to give you the haircut. Or maybe I give you five and not 15. And whatever happens, happens. Because they know they have now, this is not a big company, small company distinction, right? This is this is a way you operate your business. You can be a $7 million company and have a great sales and marketing arm and make the exact same choices I'm talking about now. But what we notice is when you get under $25 million in our marketplace, you don't have that strong sales and marketing muscle. And you have to make different choices because you're you're you just don't have more opportunities. Yeah, that's where, south. that's where our job comes in as recruiters. I mean, yeah, you're a twenty-five million dollar company. You can't see the forest through the trees. You're drinking from a fire hose every single fire hose every single day. You're not thinking about next year and the year after that. And that's yeah. where bringing on you know bringing on qualified seasoned talent comes in. You bring on a great salesperson that that that, that really knows how to sell and they've sold for bigger companies and they know what they're doing, or an operations person that can really tighten up your operation and and, and raise your margins. You know, you're missing you're you're missing it by, by not taking advantage of the people, especially the people that are out there right now. I mean, there is there is spectacular talent out there. Fabulous in, talent in sales. I mean, fabulous talent. I, I've got account managers that rock my world, you know, over the years. I've got operations people that that can run a 200 300 million dollar company and are willing to grow at a smaller company. Yeah. You know, these are the types of opportunities that you take advantage of during during we won't call it a recession because they haven't labeled it that yet but it's a recession i, I yeah I, another it, it's funny right didn't intend to talk about it here but another 30 minute conversation in 30 seconds i'm continuously flabbergasted by organizations that look at their teams and say no i'm good yep the the football teams basketball teams sports comparison like you get to the end of the year and you're not like ah, i'm fine yeah i won as many games as I lost. I didn't go to the playoffs, but I'm good. I'm not going to try and get better. Yep. We see a lot of that in our space and it, it is the most cold hearted piece of advice that we give. It's, it's so it, funny. You because... just got to get better. And, and we're not always talking about expanding staff. Sometimes if you make a change, like you have to go ahead, Jason. Everybody forgets as entrepreneurs that the risk it takes to even be in business and, uh, you know, itself, just to be in, start a business and open a business and be in business, it's risk, right? And, and entrepreneurs love risk. But once things are good, they start forgetting about how risk got them work to where they are. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity for, for smaller series to take some risk on some people, take some flyers, put these people in positions that they can really grow your business. The first guy you hire might not work. The second one might, the third one might. Um, but it's that type of risk that you have to take as a business owner to really excel your business. I don't know yeah. any successful business, any that didn't take big risks. Yeah, um, there, there's a question, and I figure we can we can touch on this briefly before we go to the next one because it's kind of on point. And I'm I'm paraphrasing right now, and it's essentially like, hey, when or how did we kind of pivot away, or why are we 
why are others selling on 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 price rather than value? Um, I'd go back to kind of my pipeline, my sales and marketing engine answer. If we don't have a lot of opportunities in front of us, we feel like we have to capture what's there. What's the easiest way to capture it? It's price. Uh, I think the value argument is uh, productization, it's differentiation. It's, yeah, that $7 product is one thing and my $9 product is something else for a different reason. And if you give them a reason and there is perceived value there, you're able to command that premium price in a way that if you're, uh, you know, I'm $7 because the other guy was $7.10, that that's that to me, it's a, that's, that's just a downward spiral. And I've, I felt that way for 15 years. You can sell value. I mean, you, you can, I have the best customer service. I've got the best accuracy. It comes down to price. And if you're not within 5% of, of the other guy that you're not going to, um, I mean, I'm, I'm talking on a macro level. Not yeah. I feel, I feel differently about that. Yeah. I, um, what there, you, you, you know, Google, and, and this is a research project that, that we've done before, um, publicly traded, uh, not, maybe not publicly traded, uh, companies, but public organizations, sunshine laws, disclosure laws, they have to go out to bid. They have to make it public. There are RFPs. You can find this stuff out there from CRAs in our space. They submit an RFP to the, you know, Southwest Directional College of Midwestern State, you can find that RFP online. Mm-hmm. Premium prices awarded to the bidder. So yeah, I I agree. There's there there absolutely are instances where the dog and pony show and who's five cents higher, who's five cents lower. Sure, but I, I you 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 can you can win both ways. You you can be a successful CRA winning both ways, in my opinion. Um. But it's good because these are things that you and I have disagreed with or, or, or gone back well, and forth on in 20 years. I'm, so talking more to, I'm talking more on a macro level, you know, yeah. again, overall. Yeah. You can win deals by proving good service yeah. and accuracy. But overall, if you look at, you know, a thousand clients over time, you got to be competitive with your price. You can't you can't get away with a $20 county search anymore. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's. Uh, Next slide. What do we have? Okay, we'll save most of the questions for the end. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And if they're relevant, you, you know, there was the platform, um, yeah. kind of, you know, question that we saw. Um, so we'll give everybody a second to to absorb here. Um, pretty close to the 80-20 rule. CRAs, proprietary system, CRAs on a platform. Um, the numbers, the revenues follow uh, in the inverse. Uh, a vast majority of the revenue in our space operates on proprietary not platforms. So we're at 70% or 72% utilize a third-party solution. It's really, you know, 65% or 70% of the volume that comes through the industry is on proprietary systems. Yep. Yep. Hundreds and hundreds of CRAs on the publicly traded. Um, Fewer, obviously proprietary systems, but they're the larger ones. And that's where most of the money in our, in our industry is. Yeah, um, I still say if I was going, and you and I wrote a, a, a white paper about this, yes. years ago, you know, if I was going to throw a shingle out there and start a CRA again, there's no chance in building my own system. It's yep. just not going to happen. Yep. I would build a $25 million company on a third party system, you know, and I'd be very happy. Um, there's just sounds not- like, sounds like we've done that before. Yes. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's hard enough. And in my, my little, um, kitschy one, you know, one sentence, you know, explanations, I, man, it's hard enough to be a background check company, let alone a background check company and a technology company. 
It's funny. Um, I, I just got off the phone. I had a call from 1215 to 1245 with, uh, with a uh, private equity firm. And they were looking, they're looking at a company in our space. And they said, you know, I wanted you to talk to one of our analysts because do you consider this company a software company or a services company? And I laughed. I mean, it's it's a thousand percent a services based company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's valuing themselves as a software based company is joking themselves. Um, and their valuation is just insane because you know, we might use technology to deliver a product and 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 run our operations, but at the end of the day, they're not we're not software businesses. Yeah. And and insight for those listening here today. Um the organizations that, and, and, and again, you know, a generalized statement, but organizations that go to a proprietary system at a certain revenue amount and down, they're not funding the technology. They're not building the team, et cetera, the payroll out of current operations. Um, they're, they're taking on investors. They're taking on debt to do it. They're not, you know, if you, you line up two companies at the same at the same valuation. It's not like one company is on a third-party system and they're doing it for the wrong reason while the other company magically finds this, this big pot of money to go, you know, with within their their profit to go do this. They 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 generally, those are organizations that need outside help. And you can grow a good company there. You can build a good company there. What we're saying is we don't, you know, we're not judging because you can build an empire both ways. ATS partners. Um, I loved... Uh, asking this question and seeing the responses, even though not many um, surprised us. You want to share your thoughts on this, Jason? No, I don't. I don't have much of an opinion on the actual results of the survey. What I do, I remember reading an article. Um, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal a couple of months ago. You and I might have talked about it, but it used to be that you know you want your HRIS and your ATS and all these different systems to be either either under one company, like Oracle runs everything for you or being able to talk to each other in an efficient manner. And I think what I saw in that article was that that's changed. Um, people are like, I don't want to be beholden to one company anymore to run all of my services, but I do want my all of my services and all of my HR services to talk to each other seamlessly. And I think with the uh, maturity of APIs over the last couple of years, and even the new APIs or API 2.0 that's coming out, um, we're seeing a lot of that and we're seeing the ability for companies to really just choose who they want to ever work with. And as long as they're able to talk to each other. Yeah. I, I, a lot of it, you know, I used to call um, again, one sentence um, partnership by press release, you know, CRA gets together with an ATS and here's a description of my company. Here's a description of your company. Here's a quote from my leader saying why this is great. Here's a quote by your leader who's saying this is great. And then, the world kind of moves on. Um, what I what I have sensed is over the years, Jason, is a, a more kind of, I don't know if I call it judicious or just kind of a, a depressed acceptance that there's a lot of CRAs out there and a lot of ATSs out there and integrations and can it do this? Can it do that? Can it like, you're just not going to be able to find that perfect fit across all of the different options. So kind of, and I think you said this a couple of minutes ago, you know, fi finding your friends and finding the ones that work and not trying to whack every mole for every possible opportunity and every new ATS and who pays for it. And maybe the company never orders. Am I out 15 grand? Cause I fronted the money. Like it, just those damned, if you do damned, if you don'ts, 
um, uh, the uh, resignation is probably the word I, I, I should say kind of around this topic. All right, um, what are people doing with their staffs? Most expect to add. Um, and this is maybe where you sprinkle a little owner optimism around there. Um, and and we talked for a, a little bit a few minutes ago about just strengthening our teams and where and when there's those opportunities uh, in the marketplace. Anything that, that jumped out to you when we no. looked at this, Jason? What I'm seeing mostly now, I'm not seeing, hey, I'm adding, you know, three account managers to my business is exploding. What I'm seeing is I need to replace three account managers um, that I already have. Um, so we're not seeing employment growth. We're just seeing a lot of replacing. Um, again, this survey was launched, you know, eight months ago, probably. And times yeah, we had it. We had it open for about four months. Okay. So yeah. you know, times are a little bit different now, you know, even in the last couple of months. Um you know, we're getting into a, a war. I mean, things are just changing really rapidly. Um, I just, I don't see as many companies adding and taking the risks on adding employment versus just replacing what they already have. You, you know, conversations that we continue to have. And what's what's really interesting about the conversations is how it's extending, um, you know, the idea of where am I going to do my fulfillment? Am I going to do it in my building? Am I going to find a third party to help? Am I going to change the means from a more manual process to a more automated process? And if I do, do I do that through my company? Do I do that through a partner? Um, I think there's as much in flux or, or conversations around that issue than, than I've seen in probably five years on, on that topic. You know, why, why, what, why, why do I need to, and I'll, I'll just use a quick example. Like, do I really need to take all of the raw research either from a screen scrape product or, or from a vendor who just dumps it in and then fix it at my desk? Uh, do I pay a little extra for somebody to do that before it hits my desk? Do I become a quality control arm? Where, where, and when do my roles and responsibilities start and end? And I, and I think we're seeing that in those headcounts questions and, and, and comments, because there really wasn't no, and I'll wrap this up in a sec. There really wasn't a trend around large companies are doing it all this way and smaller companies are doing it all this way. There was a, there was a lot of noise kind of mixed in, in terms of what people were choosing. Yep. Sales quotas. All right. Um, your, your turn. Hop in on this, Jason. Yeah. So there wasn't a ton of consistency in the answers here. Um, you know, Again, their most common answer is we don't have salespeople, and that's probably 50% of the industry. It's small CRAs, the owners do the sales, they've never hired a salesperson, and they're growing, so they don't really think they need to. But you get to a certain point, and you have to add that because you can only grow so much yourself. Um, the quotas I, were, were, were interesting, too. I, I find it fascinating that companies are hiring salespeople but not putting any type of KPI behind it at all. So how do you know how they're doing? So that 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 surprises me a lot. Um, and, and like you say, there it's just an unprofessionalized segment of the industry. And if you look at um, the, the the private equity model of how they they buy fifty one percent of a business and they right size the business by bringing in real grown up business business principles, sales quotas, KPIs, real management, real accounting, you know, uh, principles, and, and and really running a uh, your business like a real large business. And I think that that's something that the industry has lacked for a while. And I think that's, you, you can see the success of that by, by the companies that private equity gets involved with. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great comment. And again, judgment-free zone, like build an empire and build an organization that, that works for you and your team. There are $5 million companies that are absolutely killing it financially and a $50 million company that could be drowning, you know, and, and especially for smaller organizations, 10 and below, you can have business owners that are like, yeah, man, that's a lot of work and I got to give up equity and control and I have investors and now I answer to people and maybe our visions are different. Like, it, it's okay. Um, and uh, Jason, if we can go back to the um, the sales quotas uh, for just a bit, you know, I'll, I'll piggyback off a comment that, that you made. Um, a lot of organizations hire, but don't necessarily have the discipline to uh, enforce a quota, establish a quota, or unfortunately, make a decision when something or, or a person doesn't work out. A, a observation that I have, and this is not a cold hearted one, right? The failure to separate from a salesperson who isn't performing really does two things, right? You're paying the person to underperform. Uh, I have clients whose salespeople are de facto service reps. And because there's not that differentiation that you mentioned before, Jason, that that salesperson over time isn't even covering their costs because they're 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 on the support side and they can't segment. But the most common mistake we make is the is the in, in unwillingness to kind of separate. Now you're burning cash, um, and when you do separate, you don't have the dry powder to do it again, and that creates a chilling effect. That can set a company back a year or two oh. because they they just don't you know hire slow, fire fast. Um, there's plenty of plenty of better options out there in the market. Okay, all right. So we have a couple more slides. I want to make sure we get to these questions. Yep. 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 Go ahead. Monitoring and we talked about monitoring a little bit. Skip over that. Um, well, I, I, actually, um, let's let's do just a real quick because um, our respondents fell into two camps, right? It's easy, it's hard. Clients like it, clients don't. Um, so really, even as you heard Jason and I 20 minutes ago talk about the pros and cons, and we were kind of on different sides of it, that's really reflective in in the sentiment of the people that that um that participated here. So that, that's just what I wanted to call out, Jason. So the gorilla in the room, uh, and this is something we're going to talk about on our next webinar, pretty in depth. We want to talk about what we're doing for our next webinar. Uh, I have it. I let, let's do this one just on the topic, and then okay. I have the next webinar and kind of our, our what's coming okay. up next. So yeah, the, the the price increases through the work number continue to create a lot of uh, animosity in the industry. There's a lot of very upset. Uh, CRAs out there. Um, it, this shouldn't be a surprise. They've raised their prices every single year by roughly the same percentage. Uh, and that's going to continue to happen. They've been vocal about it. They've talked about it in their quarterly um, filings and their investor updates. It's going to keep happening. Um, so, you know, it's something that you need to either adapt to or figure out different ways of doing things because, you know, the old way ain't going to work for much longer at that price. Yeah, and and you know it, it, it's no secret we say it every time that that we we chat. Uh, Jason has a relationship with Truve. I have a relationship with Argyle. Um, but our thoughts on this particular slide are, are pretty agnostic. Um, if you watch Equifax's uh, webinar presentations, if you read their SEC filings, their investor reports, uh, they they are bragging. Um, our world relative to theirs is pretty small. If they they have smart people at their company too, so if they raise price, they build in attrition. Um, their top of waterfall strategy is their attempt to mitigate it. But 
I, I, I think eyes are pretty wide open everywhere from the CRA side, um, from the Equifax side, maybe not yet from the end user side, but I really think in the next 12 months, that's going to start changing. Everybody's making their decisions to best run their business. This is theirs. Okay. Um, why don't you handle this one? Yeah, I really like this one. And, and in fact, I, I used this um, example yesterday. I, I have long been fascinated by our industry. I don't call it on inability, okay? But the art in this industry. You line up 10 CRAs and you say, what is a standard criminal background check? You're going to get seven different answers. Um, I, I have long chuckled, been frustrated, ranted, et cetera, over the years. Searching, finding, and reporting are three different things. When we think of that seven-year thing, that that really makes makes me run hot. <laughs> the three different things. A lot of times we don't think that way as a space, but um, not surprised. Basically, so if you filled out the survey, you'll remember uh, I created like eight different answers on is your standard criminal package this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? Eight different options. There's not a single one that received a plurality. Answers were all across the board and find us if you want to know a little more depth about it. But what does this mean for us? There's profit implications. There's accuracy. There's compliance implications behind all of this. So um, any, any thoughts you, you, you're welcome to share, Jason, on this? No, I, think, yeah, I think you said it. I think you said it. Yeah, I, I very much put my operator hat on on with this. But when, when you overlay profit, you overlay support. This is, this is really important. Um, what's next for us before we... Um, before we head to to a couple more questions, um, our third party, our product spotlight series is continuing. Um, one of our next ones is going to be on the third party platforms and recent innovations that they have. We're looking forward to that one. Um, in a couple of weeks, we are asking Equifax the tough questions and they're giving us honest answers on their Smart Screen Plus Talent Check product. Uh, they unveiled it right before the annual conference at a price point that I'm sure made many people feel like they were choking a golf ball. Um, and we're talking about what is the value of this product? Will people really buy it? Who's it aimed at? How does it help you as a CRA make more money? Um, they're hearing the feedback. They know a lot of people hate the price. They're trying to convince people, hey, this is how it will help your business. And and we had a conversation together and we said, hey, let's let's ask you guys the questions that people want to know. Um, and they promised us that they would give us honest answers. So really, really looking forward to that. That's um, going to be a great one. That's going to be yeah, a really one. Yeah, we're really excited about that. We Again, we, we play it straight down the middle because um, okay. we know these are things that you want to know. Um, a year in review and then a look ahead, excited about. Uh, we're going to be doing an Ask Us Anything probably in quarter one. Uh, and then something that uh, if you want to ping me directly, I'm really excited about uh, as we think about year end charitable nations, people might have a training budget, they get a stipend that they can use every year. Um, we're going to do some advisory services for a, a charitable contribution. So ping us if you want to learn more about that. I'm really, really excited about that one. Let's um, answer some questions. Yep, let's go. So one of them is, is the growth coming from net new uh, clients or screening companies taking over business from the competitors. I think it's the latter. We talked about that earlier. There's a lot of trading business. There's nobody that, you know, you're not, you're not making a phone call to a manufacturing company that says, what's a background track? I've never done that before. Um, there's very, very few uh, companies going through that new business. Um, the next one is curious how much growth is classified. Oh, that's not what already answered. Oh, wait. No, no but that's acquisition. That's a, that, that's a good one. It's a little, that's a first cousin. 
So yeah, it's 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 net new sales and then for, versus you know doing an acquisition or a merger. Um, you know that that's all revenue. That's all additional revenue. And and you you've seen a lot of inquisitive companies like you know Octop Bay and Orange Tree and DISA and so, yep. You know they're they're making lots of acquisitions. It just bolts on to their to their uh, to the balance sheet. Yep, AccuSource as as well. Yep. Um, okay. Um, I think pricing by software providers, um, platform stock growth within the monitoring space, large, you know, ABC company getting monitoring from your same provider or platform for a dollar less because of the VIG you got to pay to the, to the platform. I agree. I mean, that's, that's right. You have to charge more money because the platform is charging you for a component. Um, that's a problem that needs to be solved for this product to grow. Um, and that's probably something that, uh, should happen through conversations and in, in, in user conferences that you have with your platform providers. Uh, the question about uh, revenue from from ATS. I, I want to follow up with um, um, Naveen. Thank you for asking that. that. That's probably a separate conversation, a deeper conversation for us. Um, we do, and, and this is something that we make available to CRAs, private equity investors in the space. We have research reports uh, where we study uh, across about 400 companies in our industry, different ATS platforms. So that's a little less connected to this survey and more our internal proprietary research, but happy to happy to chat with you uh, about that. Um, you want to you want to talk about the Equifax one, Jason? There's a couple of comments about Equifax. Companies have given their clients, uh, you know, the option, and, and some of them have gone away from doing verifications. And we knew that was going to happen. And I've seen a, a few other CRAs mention that. I've also seen some new CRAs come to market and say we're not doing verifications, uh, and we're not going to be in bed with the work number. So you know, we're seeing some trends. I don't know if it's moving the needle at all, but eventually. Um, you know, companies, CRAs are going to have some decisions to make on products that they offer and if they want to offer that anymore. Yeah, we, uh, Jason and I both know a um, somebody in an account management leadership position, and this person probably personally oversees a couple million dollars um, in, in revenue. And pretty much across the board, that company has, or those clients are like, no, we're out. We, we don't need it. And, and I understand it, right? There are going to be organizations that need and will continue no matter the price. And maybe whom they get it from will differ, but they just need that six months of employment history. Other people are going to say, you know what? 10 years ago, it cost me 15 bucks to get six months of employment history six years ago. Now it's going to cost me a hundred bucks. I don't need it. And again, every everybody, we're all adults here. Everybody makes their choices. So that that's a trend that I'm seeing, um, you know, around the value of that of that product. Another question on here is what do I think what do we think will happen with the court business at Equifax regarding the county business? And you know, could it be merged or could somebody like informed data buy that piece of business from them? I'm sure anything is possible. But the price that Equifax paid for that company, I think was 1.6 billion when they bought Acris. Um, so I just don't see the value uh, for them to sell it versus just trying to continue to grow it over the next couple of years. We 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 had. I'm going to try and give a more specific answer, Jason. Uh, we put that. I'm going to try and find the slide because um, we asked that question. Hey, what what is it doing to your your um, non work number business? Um, and a third of people have have pulled non work number business from Equifax. Um, what we didn't say here is who's adding and who's increased. And off the top of my head, I think 15% of people are taking advantage of the one-stop shop. 
and they're ordering more. It's just easier. Uh, and 50% have said there's been no change to our relationship. But yeah, a third of people are like, I'm pissed at you. And I'm I'm pulling my county searches. And Equifax is probably like, okay, if you're a large company, that matters. If you're a small company, it doesn't. Two more questions. Uh, one is, uh, has anyone successfully implemented a subscription-based pricing model in the industry as opposed to per transaction? The I white thought, whale. Yeah, I thought for sure that would have taken off by now. I know the checker tried a couple of years ago. I've seen zero CRAs be successful with that. Um, not to say it can't happen in the future, but it's, it's so far not happening. It, it, it's it's almost like, um, you know, you, you multiply a, a number by a number. <laughs> it's like we are in a risk management business and that is a risky price model. Um, so two things that aren't necessarily, uh, working in anybody's favor there. Uh, and the last is, do you anticipate a continued market reset, increased pricing on the provider side? Absolutely. Everything's getting more expensive. Um, you know, minimum wages up, you're paying your people more technology costs are increasing, uh, inflation. Yeah. They're going to continue raising the prices. There's no yep. Point. And, and, and we've seen it, um, uh, you know, in the largest, of course, and not to not to beat on them, we certainly have friends there um, in good business relationships. But you know, Equifax is the one that gets the headlines. But we're seeing it. We're seeing it across the board. Um, all right. Final thoughts before we say goodbye. No, I mean, I'm excited about the webinars that we're doing. Kevin and I actually plotted out the next thirty of them. I think we're not going to do all of them, but we've got a kind of an editorial schedule going um, for the next twelve months. Is we're gonna we're gonna have sponsors for some of them. Uh, we're gonna do take a little more more of an interesting take on some of the stuff that we're doing. Um, more guests, uh, so look for more of, of these. We're we're still doing the LinkedIn lives, uh, which we like doing a lot. But we're uh, we're gonna continue doing more of these webinars as well. And yep. so look for more from us. Product also. spotlights. We're we're really excited about the opportunity to showcase uh, different companies, different people, different products. If you're listening, that's something that appeals to you. Please contact us. Uh, any topics especially for our Ask Us Anything series. Uh, tell us what you want us to talk about. Uh, we love just turning the microphone on and chatting. Uh, really excited about the charitable uh, idea that I had and look for this and other content on the Background Check Radio podcast, which you can get through Apple, Spotify, Google, et cetera. I'll probably convert this to audio and have that posted in the next couple of days. So if you need anything from us, if you need any recruiting or advisory or whatever, we're here to help. Give us a call, shoot us an email. Um, if you have any questions after this webinar, just feel free to, to, to reach out to us and uh, we'll be in touch about the future. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Bye.